There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello. Hello. It's time for our final bit of BOCO. Barely, not not barely boco in terms of the co. It's fully co, but only slightly bow, just because we've got a regular co coming tomorrow. Yeah, so um, by the time you hear this, it's quite possible that you will have already seen the finale. Yeah, I think most of our listeners are, are not waiting longer than Monday evening to, to watch. However, there's a very good reason this is so late. Oh my God. Do you want to tell them why? Well, I mean, they know why, you know. We don't need to go bragging about our BFI event, about me meeting Jesse Armstrong in person last night, about the fact that when we walked out of the BFI, the sun had risen hours ago, and then we had to come home and fall asleep at like 6 a.m. But people are saying, what, so you slept until the evening? No, we also did something this afternoon. This is even bigger, I think, for us. We got to sit today. We weren't out in our loft. We left our house, which is very big for us took a taxi to a podcast studio. And would you like to know who joined us? Jesse Armstrong. In a room. Podcasting with a J-Dog. We talked to him for two hours. Very generous with his time. He kept trying to leave. <laughs> I had to physically assault him to keep him staying. But there was obviously there was so much to cover. Because we had to do episode specific. We then had to try to be very, very funny and adorable. And then I, of course... Had to Dear Jesse, Dear Jesse. So what we've decided to do is tomorrow, Tuesday, you get your regular episode, including in the guest slot, Jesse Armstrong. He seemed like the right way to finish. You're thinking you're just going to squeeze two hours into that little guest spot? No, we're not stupid. This you, is not our first rodeo. Wednesday, you get long-form Jesse. And here's my promise to you. The stuff you get in the episode tomorrow will not be regurgitated in the Wednesday episode. Are you sure? What if you need to use some of it to link or to smooth? Nope, not happening. You sure? Yes. If you, I am saying on behalf of everyone, Jeff, if you want to renege on that promise, no one is going to judge you. Who who are you to speak on behalf of everyone else? Well, I think I'm because, honey, I'm the one watching how hard you're working. Okay. This is what you're getting. You're getting Firecrutch and Normcore on the finale tomorrow with Jesse in the guest spot. And then on Wednesday... Full Jesse. Open kimono. No repeats. But all this talk of Jesse mustn't detract from what you're about to hear. We have been so lucky with the guests we've had on this series. 
And this one, I think, is extraordinary. It's one of my favourite conversations. I think if you want to go deep on how succession is made, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you couldn't hope for a better guest than this one. I didn't know what to expect. I think I thought because Jesse is so gentle and oh, thoughtful and cerebral, okay, okay. then who's going to be the yin to his yang? Yes. Is, is his director going to be a, a, a much more alpha personality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, is what I thought. I had no doubt that he'd be one of the good guys because it, that's how it tends to go on this show. And as you will hear in the interview, we, we have a mutual mutual friend. So... I would have been surprised if he was anything other than lovely. But he wasn't just lovely. He was so thoughtful and so insightful into people and personal dynamics and how important that is. Right, because as we learn, that's part of the job. Yeah. Um, I love this conversation so much. I've left it longer than I typically would because I think it's so interesting. This is all succession all the time. Enjoy it. We loved it. This is Mark Mylod going to start by asking about the royal family because you you did the first series of that but you'd left by the time my episode came around what was your episode you, you don't remember my episode i <laughs> <laughs> was it i was in america jeff I uh, it's, it's the episode where um they're decorating oh man and yeah, a, the radio is playing in the background yeah and that, that's me on the radio with my old co-host oh okay now i get it i didn't realize it was such a um major, a, a major iconic moment of british television <laughs> yeah so i had left I, I i did i did the first season and and then i came back to do um queen of sheba in 2006 where grand pops her clocks. yeah which they uh, won all the awards for did they um did they torment you craig and caroline did they have a little nickname <laughs> for me and in what way in what way did you become their plaything <laughs> Oh my god, that's so incredibly perceptive and so true. I was, yeah, I was but a toy to be battered around. Um, uh, <laughs> well, let's think. Um, there was a time when I told them my very amusing and endlessly entertaining anecdote about how I'd hitchhiked up from where I lived in Devon up to see a mate in London, and I got picked up by a bunch of hippies in a bus, and they took me to Stonehenge. Um, and uh, the next day when I came into the edit, um, they all had their heads facing towards the screens away from me when I walked in. <laughs> and Craig said, um, hey, Mark, tell us about that Stonehenge story again. And then they all swung around on their chairs and they'd all cut out kind of eyes, paper eyes, and stuck them in their heads so they could be sleeping whilst I told the story. Um, <laughs> Like, how those how they ever got any work done is a mystery to I know me. the fact that they would spend so much time making eye props <laughs> and just to, just to, to wind me up there's real dedication uh. to absurdism there and, and then you did like loads of um, loads of British comedy I wondered did you cross paths with Jesse Armstrong at all in that time no no it's odd isn't it yeah. I know I, I never um n- never met him um he he was on on a kind of different strata they were doing the clever stuff you know the Armandos and uh, and, and Jesse's were doing kind of satire and um, whilst we were doing slow motion dick jokes um <laughs> so so we never really crossed paths they did actually as I recall and um they did actually call me up about doing the pilot of peep show um which I couldn't that's how I remember it as well that's probably a complete lie um um and I, I remember reading the script and thinking it was just the most fantastically bold idea it, it does that kind of first person point of view thing um 
and loving it, but not being able to do it probably because of the royal family or something. Um, but that that was the closest we ever got to working together up until I actually looked it up the other day because I was going back through my calendar for something else, and I saw back in May two thousand seventeen. Call Jesse Armstrong. That was the first time we spoke. Oh. Um, which, you know, six years ago. Um, what was his pitch? And um, his um, his pitch. Um, I think it was the other way around. I think it might have been me because uh, you, 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 um, you're yeah. the Hollywood guy by this stage. You've done Game of Thrones. <laughs> you've done Entourage. You've done The Affair. You've done films, right? Okay. Yeah, I'd already seen the pilot and just loved it. Um, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was just the boldest. Just in you know that kind of thing where you think, oh, that's the zeitgeist that is. Um, um, and the fact that it was so bold that it really didn't give a damn if you just hated everybody. There was no redeeming qualities to any of the characters. I thought that was so bold. Um, and there was this bombastic pulse to it. It just felt like Trump's America to me. It really did. Um, um, so I'd gone and met with a couple of the producers, Frank Rich, and um, and to do one episode just directing because I'd, I'd finished doing, I'd done three years of Game of Thrones and I was looking desperately looking for something great that I could do in a in New York so I could actually see my wife and children occasionally um and um yeah it started off they liked me and they offered me one episode and then had a conversation with Jesse as I said and then the next thing I know oh would you like to be you know producer director which is a role I'd previously done on Shameless and Entourage and was kind of more like the way that British directors work in television, I think, which is where you're kind of across everything. So when you, you came in, the first episode you ever directed was the second episode. Is mm, that right? And so right. when, and Adam McKay did the pilot. So so then when <clears> you come in on episode two, how much does it feel like he's sort of laid out a template that you have to follow versus it's a clean slate for how you approach it as a director? Yeah, it was, it was also that it, it yeah, it was very much this blueprint had been laid down by Adam, luckily, and brilliant um, blueprint. So, but yeah, you come in as a, as as the next director up, and uh, yeah, you you are kind of obliged to follow that, which is you know, which I was very happy to do because I thought the quality of the work was great. It is odd, you know, having um trying to. Th- Catch this in a way where I don't sound like a complete knob, but um, if it, it, there's an there's an element of frustration, not not really frustration, but a sense of a slight sense of being a drone in that I didn't cast it, and um, you know, and it's not my, you know, it's not my baby completely. You're kind of hitching your wagon to to another director's blueprint, um, all of which I was happy to kind of. Uh, sit on just put my ego to bed a little bit and just get on with doing really good work because the writing was so exquisite and um I like to think that over the I sleep at night because I tell myself that over the years you know that kind of incremental life that a show takes on um just becomes the kind of sum of those players to a certain extent but and that's not to undercut Adam's contribution, of course, because it really was a brilliant pun. If you look at the, you know, if you go back and look at episode one, it's not a million miles from where we are. You know, at the end of four seasons later, so it just shows the strength of the pilot. So you've been saddled with a shitty cast that you would never have employed. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> many, many of whom we have, have spoken to over the last few weeks. And I think that I've got a good nose for smelling when actors are, are just trotting out the the platitudes and the lovey stuff and, and when it's genuine. And I think the genuine thing that we're getting from people is is that there's something about the way the production of this show is set up beyond the writing because we just set that to one side that just feels different and gets different performances and different results from people um we, we can tell you what other people have said that is but i'm interested to know what you think is in the secret source that makes it different i mean i, I know you said you know put the writing aside but I, it's impossible to start that or my opinion without saying that whatever kind of method of working we've evolved only works because the writing is so brilliant. Um, we have spent a lot of time um, praising those writers, though. Yeah, I know. We, really? need to, we have to stop <laughs> okay. now. It's like we've gotten too exhausting, okay. I think, talking about how good the writing is. We need like a okay. controversial... The are the real stars of the show. No, we we get said, it. Said enough we need that. a controversial hot take where someone's like, these people are overrated. I'm into Ozark. I'm into Severance. <laughs> something else, man. We just want to know that, like, the rest of it, though, from, from your perspective, yeah. what, I mean, does it feel that different to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, in that the whole starting position, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's complex, but I'm um, trying to be reductive about it if, so it's not too boring. Um, um, normally, when you've got the script and you've got your cast and you've got the location, it normally works like this. The director says, okay, maybe you're coming through that door and you walk to that. Can you hit a mark around here? And then so that we can track in on a dolly and land, bam, and then rack the focus through to that person who's now moved to position B just behind you. And then by the end of the scene, you're going to walk out there. So the, so that'll be, you know, um, um, that's a scene. Okay. Um, or you can do it the succession way where, Arl or whoever's directing will say to the actors, okay, can you walk into this room? Okay, let's go for a take. Um, and um, and that's what we do, in effect. Um, we just, uh, it's all based on a philosophy of trying to create as much authenticity, spontaneity um, as we possibly can to be as immersive in the scene, in the moment for the actors as we possibly can and to cumulatively through that organic camera operator reaction to a moment as if it's as it often is the very first time they've seen it and then by extension using the rhythm of the edit to create a sense of just the audience and the storytellers just barely hanging on by their fingernails and barely keeping up with events um and that think i hope um builds um builds tension um and by extension helps the comedy offset to that um it gives it a pulse and a narrative drive and a, a, a um and it feels compelling because of those because of that particular and very specific grammar and um and i suppose perhaps most importantly i think and i hope and you know i think the cast would in general back this up so that sense of crediting the artistry of that particular cast and their intelligence, it frees them up. The, I'm not massively a jazz fan, but it's the best kind of analogy I can think of. It's like freeform jazz. They can come in and a scene can take on a life of its own. We never really do 
the same thing twice. It's not like, okay, that was a good take. Let's match that on all subsequent angles. Mm. It just doesn't work like that. We explore the scene and it goes its own way in every take. Um, And I've kind of worked out a way of changing the shots or the different kind of, or the specifics of it so that I know I can kind of cut it all together, um, which is a benefit of having been doing it for a million years, I suppose, that... uh, that I've kind of got the the craft now to be able to stick that together and know what I need. And in terms of the the soft skill side of your job, so you just sort of described in detail this one piece of it. But am I right as a layperson of thinking it's also sort of like you're managing an actor having a bad day? So <laughs> if you've got someone, no names, but maybe... Iverson. 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 It could be Iverson. Iverson, Iverson has Iverson a meltdown. A bad day. But, you know, whoever it might be, and you're sort of like, okay, I'm I'm not getting what I need. Mm-hmm. Is it is it your job? I think it, it to, is to your manipul- job to, to figure out them. yeah, how you get out of an actor what what you want from them and how you go about that. It's, um, y- yes, it is my job um, uh, to, yeah, you know, a- everything to do with translating the script onto the, the film stock and... Um, yeah, that's all. That's all my job. I luckily have a very clever team um, to help with that. Um, in terms of talking with actors, case by case, it really is. Um, if it's you know the with the main cast, it tends to be tonal discussions um, where the emphasis kind of musical discussion. Where's the emphasis? Where's the break? You know, is there is this more allegretto or whatever? And, um, um, it tends to be. Yeah, tonal nuance. Um, if it's you know um, a less experienced or a guest actor or something, sometimes that's it, it's more helping them and easing them into our way of working. So I've um, just so done a bad feel, take. How, how do you diplomatically yeah. tell me? Oh, I just it's straight to physical violence. Really, um, um, <laughs> do no you messing say, around. Oh, that was yeah. great. We just had a problem uh, with the sound. Uh, uh, let's uh, do it again. <laughs> what are you? Know, <laughs> if um, if it's a kid, and I think if it's a kid, and I think that they're and I can feel they're really nervous. Yes, I will lie through my teeth. Um, but you're not treating the grown-ups like children. You're not infantilizing not the actors. That's a very <laughs> unique approach. I think you're taking. <laughs> <laughs> If you're, um, I, I, I do tend to love them to death. Um, the, the, because I, I have this odd, probably there's a, a psychiatric disorder to it, where I associate the actors and their characters so so closely they become indistinguishable, oh, and I become, <laughs> yeah. and I just become incredibly protective, overprotective, probably of them, and and I and I wish to protect them. Um, and it kind of breaks my heart on a certain level that I'm unable to in succession. But that's also what I find so compelling about working on the show. It's it's trying to control and being unable to control because of the central tragedy to the show, which is how stuck these characters are. How comfortable are you with an adult temper tantrum on set? Mm. Like how do you? You, um, you mean throwing one? <laughs> no. Mm. <laughs> if you've got an, you know, that once in a while, if you've got an actor Someone's who hungry, goes, they're hungry. goes ten mm. out of ten, how mm. how much are you like? All right, this is my job, and I got versus like very uncomfortable with the direct expression of emotion. Oh, um, on the surface, very yes. Let's all get it all out there. Inside, dying a million deaths. <laughs> um, uh, I'm I hate. Um, very uncomfortable with conflict public displays of emotion etc but um i embrace my fears oh. um 
uh, I've got better at it. But essentially, no, I don't like it. Other people just think it's part of the process. And I, and I do embrace that. And some of the hardest scenes that we have shot have been born out of tension and an incredible vulnerability that goes along with that uh, and, and whatever it is that alchemy of, of this particular group um I, I can't remember ever shooting a really good scene on succession where i thought well that was easy um wow. uh, that that's just never happened to me anyway and is is that just this feels like a a, a real layperson question, but is that just because the actors have to go to such a raw place, and 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 some of the the things they're being asked to inhabit are so dark and traumatic? Yes, I suppose so. And also, it's just a, a just a genuine company wide striving for excellence. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, and again, you know, bloody writers again, you know, just striving to to do the writing justice to not f it up um, is. Um, I think that is our kind of collective feeling for, for, for me and the cast. We just want to get it right. Um, and yeah, sometimes that can get raw, um, you know, so not not for everybody. It depends on, you know, it's very um, it's well, well documented that each of our cast have quite different ways of working uh, and different ways of getting there and, uh, and different timings towards that end. Um, and it's not that it necessarily gets messy, but it, but it's intense. It's incredibly intense. And, um, and we spent so long together that we've gradually talked our way towards a place where everybody can have their space that they need to to operate. And, and it does work, um, um, and not always smoothly, but it does. You haven't all got tattoos now, like the Lord of the Rings cast, Peter Jackson. <laughs> it's not like you, you've all got Waystar logos tattooed somewhere about your body. <laughs> It's probably chips implanted somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I do like the idea of that, and I wish I thought of that for a rap, for a rap gift. Now. Somebody there with a tattooing yeah. machine. Yeah. Surprise! <laughs> you, Peer pressure. You were home today. Yeah. And, and and a lot of the actors have told us. Um, so obviously the writers go through a huge amount of drafts, and, and what that mm. can mean is the the actors are getting their lines very late in the day. Now mm-hmm. I was wondering about you because you're you're an executive producer on the show but also the nature of directing you're not starting your bit when the script is finalized when when do you come in do you know the beats of the story you talk through the locations as the writers are still fleshing that stuff out exactly that jeff yeah there's the you know when i first get involved in a new season first thing is chatting to jesse and well and I'm going spending a bit of time in the writer's room uh, and just going through the boards and say, it's okay, we know that episode one, probably in LA, if we can swing it, um, you know, we'll talk about other locations for that as well. But um, maybe that's in LA, then it's going to be a party at Logan's place and uh, and then we're going to go up to, you know, meet up with Nan. So we need a location for that. So, so, so there'll be the basic breakdown of production as to basically what location stroke sets do we need. Um, and then uh, uh, most importantly for me and the thing the backbone for me to do my thing is um is just looking at what the the arc is where do the characters start and where do they finish by the time we get to the final episode and uh, on what are the major uh, kind of character elements and character points and conflicts along the way and that way i start to if in my head, I just get a sense of what the ride is, the emotional ride is going to be and how I can help the actors calibrate that journey from from episode one to episode 10. 
Um, so there's on the one hand, there's the overall emotional journey. On the other hand, there's just that the craft element of, okay, in episode three, we're going to, you know, need a funeral in episode, you know, uh, or, or, or rather, you know, a, a, a wedding venue in episode nine, we're going to need a funeral. Uh, so we're, we know we're, we're probably going to go to Scandinavia for episode five. So I'll start digging into and investigating. And is that, for, you know, that sounds like it's fun, like working with a location oh, yeah. scout. Is it fun? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, particularly on Succession, obviously the... You know, I've lived in New York a long time, but the access that the show has granted us to locations that, not personally being a billionaire, um, that are getting into places that I would otherwise never have seen and experienced, um, and meeting people associated with those worlds. So it's incredibly. What's your favourite uh, of those places that you've been oh, behind man. the? Uh... Um, I, the, the whole Italy experience in season three was crazy great. Oh. Um, I've just I'd I'd never been or explored Tuscany, so just digging into Italy um, and up in Lake Como and. Um, was incredible croatia the whole experience of how do we film on a you know 100 meter 300 foot in a huge yacht for a week um do you worry about a... damaging the like scuffing the yacht with it i mean you're insured <laughs> yeah but i mean this is like 150 million pound yacht or whatever it is. i know yeah luckily um by the time i'm directing i'm relying i'm thinking that there are other producers who are to do with logistics and finance who who can worry about that? As I, w- I won't worry so much about scuffing by the time we're shooting. Um, but yeah, there is that sense of you know rarefied world that you get into, which is yeah, just endlessly fascinating. You don't want to make an enemy wanna... of an oligarchy. Well, you is... really don't. What's so yeah. interesting to me that <laughs> slipping we... polonium into your drinks. We did actually, we did actually do a big kind of research. There was a load of boats that I wanted to shoot on the with the help of our kind of lawyers and the team of HBO, once we dug into them, but we thought, no, can't rent that one. Um, so the one that we ended up shooting on, we thoroughly betted. So you found an, ethic, an ethical oh, super yacht. An ethical super yacht. <laughs> <laughs> he actually did, the only one. <laughs> Can you figure out why are people who are that wealthy wanting to like rent out their properties? You know, like I, if you have a yacht, you don't need more money. So why let a bunch yeah. of people on your property? I think um, I think combination of two things. Sometimes people like the idea of expressing their wealth, sharing it. You know, being oh. being seen. Um, I think more often than not, the reason people are wealthy a lot of the time is because they have a particular philosophy and relationship with money, where they think, you know, it doesn't okay. I've got that much, but they will give me a bit more. Um, so I think just people, just some people just have a philosophy of how can I monetize my world? Oh my wow, God. That's so interesting. We need more of that in our lives. How do you manage gaspers on the street? Like if you've got like, people ogling and making noise because they're like, oh my God, it's mm. Kendall Roy. How does a director <laughs> you know, manage um, it? The lovely thing about New York, I think this is why John Lennon said he moved here. Um, it's People just don't do that. They genuinely don't. Um, they'll... There's, there's almost a pride in not looking at the camera in the My street. God, yeah, but tell this it's, to the uh, people who go on the Sex and the City bus tour. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, but I'll tell you what, They're I, out of towners. And I always wonder then, cool. like, with, with a New York street scene, how much of it is extras and how much of it is just the life of the city? Mm. Depends. I mean, you know, sometimes we'll do street scenes where it's literally we've just made it up. But I remember there was a scene I shot in an earlier season with Stewie and Kendall where it was in a coffee shop. And then just the way it evolved was suddenly 
they're walking outside and they're walking a block and a half down Broadway and it's pissing down with rain. So suddenly the props department are getting two giant black umbrellas and getting there for them. I didn't even know umbrellas could be that Massive umbrellas. I know, right? It's like they're going to take off. Um, (laughs) They were like yurts with a single (laughs) pole. Um, They're just huge. Um, But, and that just evolved. Um, so that was just, you know, going with what we had. But normally the smart, here's a little bit of craft for you. Normally if you're doing a street scene, what you would do is get a kind of posse of people to surround or do counters. That's how you walk in the opposite direction of the actors and the camera. Um, you would get a core group to protect them, you know, to, to, to walk uh, around. And then obviously, you know, sometimes some productions will lock off the street. I never want to because I'm greedy for whatever you know other humanity i can get in the frame um and you just hope that they don't look in the look in the lens which as i said re- they re- very rarely do who are the, so who gets hired is it like people who are already working on the show do this these counters as you call them or do like is it like you hire extras and you hire counters you 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 just hire extras. they're all they're, they're all, all part of an extras, extras a, okay. a background agency and we actually the the amount of detail that we go into you know it it, it to get the right look and feel for the background is actually a, there's a whole it's one of those elements of production that I'm sure most people find very boring but actually I spend a lot of time on them particularly when we're in Logan's apartment or any event where it's a very specific kind of upper east side higher echelons of New York oh. society um, thing because there's such a specific look and it sounds almost Nazi to say you don't it, want to have poor face yeah um, <laughs> Sorry, that's very funny. No, but, actually, for, for of, Sarah was talking about the, you know the guy who's Mencken's advisor. You, you think that yep. he's got liberal face, not yeah, conservative I, I face? Thought, not, yeah, I not criticizing the casting, but I, I thought, oh, that looks like a, a liberal face. And then I started, and then I was thinking, oh, Justin Kirk has conservative face. And I, Justin Kirk does have conservative face, you know, it's doesn't an interesting he? Thing. Um, and also so interesting, just from the the background artist perspective. So you're you're. You're employing yourself, at least in part, as a background artist, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. But I would, but I imagine you can't bring a, a huge amount of ego to that job. So by default, you can't have a lot of ego. But at the same time, you look rich enough somehow yes. to be hanging out in an upper. To have some a director go, no, you look rich to me. What a strange. <laughs> coming together of, of factors about a person it is there's yeah it's, a, it's a, one of life's great contradictions isn't yeah. it yeah so, <laughs> have you have you hitchcocked at all is there a frame of succession oh, where we can see one. you absolutely not no never um no not my thing um the one time i did that i think that i can ever remember was on a far show sketch where this comedy sketch show i made back in the late 90s and they would they do these little quick sketches and I was one where I was called stupid bloke and I was sat in a subway holding a sign that said stupid bloke um and uh, that was my one contribution then about I don't know maybe how long ago how long maybe 18 years later um I joined Game of Thrones and for my first episode I had to go shooting over to Croatia to Dubrovnik to meet with all the heads of department all the crew on what's called a tech scout big big gathering of people and i had to kind of meet them up on the on the old walls of the city to uh to tell them what my creative vision was for this big battle which i hadn't a clue at that stage and i was so terrified i'd never done anything of that scale before 
And I was like, I really want to make a great, you know, big impression. And, and I walked up the steps and met up and all the crew were there. And I walked up and said, hi, I'm Mark, I'm Mark. And one of the guys at the back went, stupid bloke. You are um, kidding so, me. Oh, yeah, star-spotted. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was that was my okay. Never do that never again. again. Oh, I hope they bring it back. <laughs> I hope it brings the stupid <laughs> back. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Does the money ever run out on Succession? Yes, it looks, yes, it does. It's inconceivable because of the world it's in. You think, oh, this this show must be more expensive than anything else. But surely you're not talking about a Game of Thrones budget. No, nowhere near. Absolutely nowhere near. And you know, frankly, we don't need it. Um, you know, the, the the way we shoot, we shoot fast and from the hip. Um, so uh, we don't, you know. Whereas there's a very specific kind of filmic. Um, grammar to the way game of thrones is shot and its period and etc etc um um so we don't need those kind of resources um but yeah the money does run out because we try to spend our you know money on getting these as close as we can to that kind of billionaire life uh, style and uh, and we have to cheat of course and but we try to disguise the disguise the cheats as much as we can but there are there are times when i just don't have enough time episode nine that the um the episode with it, which is Logan's funeral, was absolutely massive on the page, and, and you know, it, there was you know there was the actual funeral itself, which was you know nine hundred people in a church for a couple of days, and I had to sh- just had to shoot it so fast. Um, um, but there was also all the kind of street protest element to it as well, yes. and, and that's just very expensive to set up. So even with a really fantastic, generous budget, you know, when when we'd really write scale and scope, I, w- I would have to be judicious on how we achieved that. How, how oh. conscious? How conscious were you as, as the end, as you were approaching the end of the series, of giving characters a curtain call? Mm, yeah, very, very conscious, and uh, I'm very conscious not to, right. um, or, or, or to at least um, question, 
question that emotion. Because it's a temptation but, for fan service to give us what we mm, want, but also this yeah. show is more than anything, everything is driven by truth. And balancing those things exactly. must have been hard. No, it, was, it really was, and particularly in those last couple of episodes, Jeff, the, because, it, you know, it, because we film almost entirely chronologically, so we're shooting the last stuff last, you know, and so you're getting to that, oh, this is the last scene with the, that character, oh, that's, this is going to be the last shot on that character. Oh. Um, and you can't help but the big to, you know, to, you're so inextricably emotionally connected that, uh, yeah, to think, you know, make, you could think, is, you know, Harriet's going to walk out the kitchen now and then we won't, you know, maybe we'll see her hug the kids goodbye in the morning, but that's kind of her last moment. Um, but that's um, what was brilliant about to, Logan's death. I mean, that that is yeah, that that he didn't get that big moment that it was mm. like life that it comes in a phone call mm. and somebody's yeah. already you know gone I, on the toilet floor. That's that's what life is like, mm. and then that must be hard for an actor to swallow sometimes that you don't get yeah. your big exit. But I mean, exactly. you created, I, I think, the the best depiction of that shock of a sudden death that oh. I've ever seen on, mm. on film or television. Yeah, that was. Um, I think we're all really proud of that episode because we, you know, I hope we we got as close as I think we could get to achieving exactly what we set out to do from from that great writing through to the the execution of it was very intense. I set out with this idea of being a sadistic paparazzi camera, basically for the whole thing, and just sticking the lenses in these poor people's faces um, um, throughout their greatest suffering moments, um, and uh, and 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 not to blink and not allow them to blink and just uh um and they rose to the challenge and we've spoken about the kind of half hour takes that we do on that which we again did in episode nine at the funeral um and it was incredibly intense but it worked and because it felt emotionally truthful and and because then you're asking a lot of actors so you're asking really a, a lot of kind of improv or improv reaction how, mm. how much of that is pre-planned? So, for example, in the funeral, Ewan's giving his his eulogy, and at, at some stage, the camera goes in on his hand. Is, is that storyboarded? Is that planned, or is that you're just going with what the actor does and and noticing it? Oh. It's it's the latter. Eighty percent of the latter, really. I, I I shoot things in my head. That's just you know every director works differently. I I I shoot an episode in my head, as, and as a script evolves, so does the the kind of recording in my head. Um, but in in that instance, um, it's that jazz thing I was talking about earlier. So whilst that's happening, you know, I've got four monitors set up in back in the um, back in the kind of back room of the church, um, and I've got um, a microphone so I can talk to all the camera operators along with Patrick, the director of photography I work with, um, um, and we're basically talking to the operators. And if we're not talking to the operators, they're just going with their own instinct anyway, which is one of their huge. And un, kind of unsung heroes of of the show. Um, um, so we're just we're always looking for that, and we're always talking about what we're looking for, and that we're always looking for frailty, for vulnerability, for anything that will um, that will illuminate and expand the moment. Really. So in that case, in that particular thing of looking down at that little tilt down to on Jamie's hand, um, that was specifically, I think, something that Greg or the camera operator just found um uh, and that happens a lot because he's so damn clever i am very disoriented to know that james cromwell is a jamie jamie's usually younger i'm picturing like a little young guy <laughs> like, like, like a 50, little 50 is the cutoff point yeah for a not jamie james usually. cromwell but 
You've worked that's with incredibly them a lot, ageist you? if you're all. Um, <laughs> I think that might be true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Lucy was talking to us the other week, she um, she described Matthew McFadden as as the as the gentleman actor, and um, brilliant. I wondered if you know. Cause here we are at the, the, on the, on the eve of the end. We haven't got time to do everyone, so we'll just stick to the people on the poster. But if if we just name some of those main players, and you give us mm. just the, the first thought that pops into your head, that just will contextualise what they bring as an actor from your point of view. Yeah. All right, we'll be back and yeah. forth here. All right, Kieran, a liar. Um, he turns up at set as if. He hasn't done a jot of work as if he's a completely blank slate and yet will then come out with stuff that I can only imagine has come from the most extraordinarily intense and thorough prep. I also happen to love him to bits, which is why I can be so rude about him. Alan. Beautiful. Um, A really beautiful soul, genuinely. I don't mean to be all Californian about that, but a truly beautiful soul. It's one of the loveliest humans ever in my life. Endlessly generous yeah a genuinely beautiful soul sarah genius i just uh, and again the results are so self-contained very similar to kieran in that just ready to go just locked and loaded um a, a young meryl street to me with sarah um that killer performance in episode three where she gets on the phone and is speaking into the ear of logan daddy don't leave um i'm paraphrasing um um that was on a first take um i'd literally just let her walk into the room and then followed her with the camera and she killed us she absolutely killed us um and, and jesse and i had tears rolling down our faces watching it on the monitors and i call cut and she goes okay great and switch <laughs> oh. straight out of it again you know oh uh, has anyone done word on yet you know <laughs> yeah. um um it's um just incredible her ability to drop so deep into a character in a moment and then switch straight out again like you know the proverbial switching on a light uh yeah incredible nicholas braun fantastically thorough ambitious focused in the guise of uh, a big doofus a lovely a lovely lie again seems like a lovely doofus but a really really smart player jeremy intense again a liar you, you see this incredible intensity at work and you know and, and you know and he's had his fair share of the press on that um but when what was it season two season two we'd shot we'd shot everything in Croatia we came back to New York to shoot the press conference where he outs his dad um and I think the very last scene we had to do was one simple driving shot just to get him in and actually getting out the car. I don't think he'd even made the final cut to go into that building for the press conference. Um, and I called Cup, we checked the gate, um, and that was a season wrap for Jeremy. And it was like, honestly, you could almost literally see the weight off his shoulder and, and this lightness returns, this colour returns to his cheeks. This light comes into his eyes and it's absolutely extraordinary. I couldn't. I wish I could bottle it or film it so you could see when he takes that weight off, takes that armor off, takes that. Um, then, then this lovely, easy, fun Jeremy returns. The real Jeremy comes out again, uh, and you you haven't seen it for months. And then there it is. There he is. Um, amazing. Wow. 
Matthew, and you're not allowed to say gentleman actor. Yeah. That, that... A gentleman actor. <laughs> um, um, a dedicated artist, um, the, the zero ego, extraordinary, extraordinary. The, the, the Jesse and I joked about in the earlier seasons because we would, you know, believe it or not, occasionally give quite bad notes. Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, Matthew would always go, mm, yep, uh, uh, and would explore that and somehow make lemonade out of it, uh, no matter how, pi- how piss poor our ideas had been. Um, he's just an absolute consummate artist of absolutely dedicated to finding the truth in any moment, which as, as they all are, but, um, I think almost to the point I feel bad because he's kind of so low maintenance, um, that I often feel that I'm giving him a disservice because, you know, squeaky oil gets the, whatever squeaky wheel gets the oil or whatever that expression is. He's the opposite of that. He is a very quiet wheel. Um, who achieves excellence. That was a great, great saying that you just coined there, a, a, a quiet wheel that attains excellence. <laughs> I think in this show, Matthew McFadden has proven himself to be one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Yes. I mean, it's so true, the isn't it, Sarah? I mean, funniness of I could it. not oh. believe, watching the pilot, and, you know, I, I'd last seen him play Mr. Darcy in that lovely version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, I could not believe it. I thought it was the bold Francine Mazer, another unheralded hero of succession the casting director she literally is one of the best casting directors in the world but how the heck she knew that matthew mcfadden could be wet your pants funny um is just brilliant brian brian Cox. oh gosh he's been brian dead so cox. long now i forgot Can't about remember. him yeah oh yeah yeah he died that guy, ago, that yeah. guy um brian cox um Number one on the call sheet. Um, uh, I say that as a, that's a kind of uh, title for every actor on a call sheet. It has a number. Um, and the number one on the call sheet is kind of the lead actor. So you can take it literally like that. But Brian would play more like the captain of a sports team. Um, or he would advocate for and look after the cast Um and um, be that number one of the call sheet if people were getting, if, you know, somebody was getting called too early in the morning and so they were in makeup at 4 a.m. and then they weren't used until 10 a.m. Like a he would come steward. and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, but, and, and also like a dad, um, funnily enough, um, uh, he would advocate and look after the cast. He'd complain, come up to, to you know, to production and say, hey, this person is so and so, you know, sat around on their ass for 10 minutes um, for two hours or whatever. Um, so... Uh, he he was the dad he was the dad of the cast and and the dad of the production which is um you know for um which is why when he left you know essentially after episode three there was this gaping hole um in, in the show which we on a personal level was we missed him and on a creative level made us all deeply deeply insecure you know how can we possibly go on without him well it's it's uh, it's an extraordinary thing you've done. I know sometimes w- when you're very close to something and it's eaten a lot of your life, it's uh, it's it's difficult to see it how other people see it. But it's just an amazing thing to have done. And and of course we haven't seen the finale yet. Uh, we don't want any spoilers. But um, what is what is your hope in terms of a feeling? I hope that people will feel that we earned it. I think the one thing. The one truth I can find about it at this stage is that I I don't feel that we could have tried any harder to do it justice. We we worked so hard, we really did. Um, you know, so even if people didn't like it, I'd I'd still with my hand on my heart thought, well, you know, we really really did our best. 
Oh, we look forward to it. We're out oh. of time, unfortunately. I was going to ask you about your Stonehenge story, but... Um... <laughs> it's too good. <laughs> Mark, you've been so generous with us. It was uh, such a, a pleasure to get to speak with you. Thank you so much for making the time uh, for us. Likewise, guys. Thanks for inviting me. It was really lovely to talk to you, and I hope you like the... Um... Um, I hope you like the finale. Oh, we'll be on Reddit if we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. You'll hear about it if we're disappointed. (laughs) Just wonderful. I wish I knew him in real life. Maybe you will one day. No, you probably never will. No. He's going to be directing my screenplay. I'm going to write a screenplay and Mike Milo's going to direct it. No, but maybe in another world you guys could get like a dinner, but you can't because he's in New York. But you can just enjoy that you guys had a nice chemistry. Just like one of those one of those conversations you maybe have on a train. Yes, but like, longer. Like, like before sunrise. Yes, do you see yourself as the um, Julie Dempy? Yes, yes I do, yeah. yeah, yeah very Keith much then. so. Yeah, I yes, see that. Yeah. All right, our thanks to Mark Mylod. And we're back tomorrow. At whatever time we dictate. <laughs> with our final full tradition. Firecotch and Normacore to accompany the finale. Featuring show creator Jesse Armstrong. Okay, that's a fun little treat. Come on, get into bed. Come on. I thought you stay up late. Come on. You're up late into bed. I love you. Kisses. Bye bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.